Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here. If you were here last week, you remember that we started in this new series called Followship, where we are going to look at where we have been as a church and where we hope to go as a church as we follow Jesus. And last week, I laid out for you what we called our revision, where we looked at our vision of our church. And our vision of Bachelor Creek is very simple. It's simply this, glorifying God through changed lives. That we believe that God is worthy of the fame, the renown, the praise, the glory that is due only to him. As we just sang in the song, everything was created to lift him high. And God is shown to have the most weight, glory, and prominence in our lives when our lives are changed in a way that's honoring and pleasing to him. So that's the desired end, that God would be glorified because we are living in our, way, our lives in a way that is glorifying to him. But the mission is the vehicle that is going to get us there. And here is the mission of Bachelor Creek Church of Christ, making and growing disciples, or what we would call followers of Jesus. Now let me make one thing very, very clear. Our mission at Bachelor Creek is not to just weekly put on a really good show so that you can just come and get your Jesus fix and go about your life like nothing ever really happened. Our goal for every person who identifies Bachelor Creek as their spiritual home is to get you to look like, act like, talk like, serve like, love like Jesus. And there's actually a word in the English language that's become very popular over the last 10 years or so that kind of embodies what we are trying to do in the lives of everyone in this place. It's the word doppelganger. How many of you know what a doppelganger is? How many of you thought I might have just cussed when I said doppelganger because you don't know what it is, right? All right, here's what a doppelganger means. A doppelganger simply means a look alike. All right? It comes from a, a mix of a couple of German words, and the word was uh, created like in the 1700s, but it's just become real popular over the last 10 years or so. Because we've heard before, right, that all of us has kind of like a, a twin or a look-alike roaming around somewhere on earth. You might even have met your doppelganger at some point, or somebody might say, hey, I know somebody who looks just like you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have some fun for the next few minutes. I'm going to put some pictures up on the screen, and I want you to tell me who their celebrity doppelganger is, okay? These are just average, ordinary people, but they look like certain celebrities, okay? So if you know, feel free just to shout it out. We're just going to have some fun here, okay? So here's our first person, Johnny Depp. Let's see, is that the right answer? Yeah, there you go. That was somebody's, like, great-great-grandfather. They put that picture on the internet, and like, man, I think my grandfather looks like Johnny Depp, and I would agree, Right? Now, this is some actress from Egypt back in the 1950s. Do you have any idea who you think she looks like? See, I thought Audrey Hepburn as well, but she actually looks like somebody else. Ah, thank you. Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, she looks a lot like Jennifer Lawrence, doesn't she? Now, here's another good one, okay? Yeah, that has disco fever all over it, doesn't it? Yeah, he looks like John Travolta. Isn't that strange? All the way back in the 1800s, and he looks like he could be John Travolta's brother. That's really weird. Now, this next guy, I don't know his name. He's a fighter. He's a boxer. 
All right, but I know he's got a definite doppelganger, and here it is. Quasimodo, right? Quasimodo, is, he is spot on, right? He's even kind of got the shoulder hunched up and the big eye, you know, so probably not a good thing if somebody says, you look like Quasimodo, right? Now, here's what's a little closer to home for everybody. There's Nate Plyler. So we're trying to think, well, who's some celebrities that Nate really looks like, or people could easily get Nate confused with these guys, okay? <laughs> the Soggy Bottom Boys, right? Or we could have picked about any member of Duck Dynasty, and that would have worked as well, right? Now, sometimes people say, well, Solomon, who's your doppelganger? Who is it people are always confusing you with, and they, and they just have a hard time telling the difference between the two of you, okay? So I'm glad you asked. So let me just settle it for once and all. Here's what public consensus says is my doppelganger, okay? <laughs> yep. How many times must Brad Pitt have somebody stop him on the streets of Hollywood and say, excuse me, but are you a preacher in Wabash, Indiana? Because I am sure I've seen you somewhere before right? So go ahead and take that off there so the women will stop lusting and we can get on with the sermon, okay? Now, putting it plain and simple, what we want to do as a church is shown exactly what we just showed. We want everyone in this place to be a doppelganger of Jesus. Now, the truth is the Bible is very, very silent when it comes to the actual physical appearance, the physical makeup of Jesus. In fact, there's only one verse that even addresses what Jesus looked like, all right? Here's what it says in Isaiah 53, 2. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So the only thing we know about Jesus from Scripture is that he wasn't very striking in terms of physical appearance. The Bible doesn't tell us what Jesus looked like. But the Bible is always telling us to look like Jesus. And apparently it doesn't mean to look like his physical attributes, but what it means is, is that we need to develop the character of Jesus. That Jesus is calling us to step in his direction in life with the intention of looking like a reflection of his life. And this intention always comes with an invitation. Listen to the invitation of Jesus that he gave to these people 2,000 years ago, and it's the same invitation, mind you, that he still gives today. Mark 1.16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, no hesitation, no second guessing, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and I'm sure he said the same thing, come, follow me, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men 
and followed him. Now again, the name of this series is Follow Ship. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And here we see two very, very powerful examples of this. And here's my opinion, and I think I can back it up with a lot of data. To follow Jesus 2,000 years ago looked much, much, much different than following Jesus today. Let me tell you what I mean. In today's world, we can follow all sorts of people. We follow people on Twitter. We have people following us on Facebook. We buy certain magazines. We watch certain television shows so that we can follow our favorite celebrities. So we can follow people without even having ever met them before or even know the person. And likewise today, people would say, I follow Jesus, but you know what they really mean? I admire Jesus. Today, follow means, I like Jesus. But what follow does not mean today is, I'm trying to make my life like Jesus. So I think it's really, really, really important to use the word that Jesus used over and over again. Follow me. Because there's weight to that word. There's, there's gravity to that word. Because make no mistake about it, Jesus never went around asking people to accept him. Nowhere do we ever read that in the Gospels. That's what cultural Christianity, what they tell us we have to do, just get people to accept Jesus. Jesus never went around asking people, would you accept me? Would you pretty, pretty please accept me? Like he's some emotionally needy junior hire that's having self-esteem issues, right? That wasn't Jesus. He never used those words because he's not trying to draw a crowd. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to build an army. He's trying to launch a global movement that is going to take head on the very gates of hell. And that requires followers. That requires people who are all in. So just accepting him does not cut the mustard, folks. Hear him again. Jesus said, follow me. And what the people 2,000 years ago understood when Jesus made that comment was this. They understood. From now on, every square inch of my life belongs to that man. What they didn't hear was in your very busy life, in your hectic schedule, in your crazy pace, would you just carve out a little piece for me? That's not what they heard. That's cultural Christianity. When Jesus invited someone to follow him, it was very clear what Jesus was saying is, I am the leader now. And I think... That's the difference between follow me 
in 33 AD and follow me in 2019. It's all about who is in charge. Because again, in a lot of the cultural Christianity that's peddled today and preached today and it's sold in books, people can follow Jesus and still be in charge of their own lives. I've explained it to you like this before, okay? Everybody wants Jesus to be their Savior. But very few people allow Him to be their Lord. You say, what's the difference, Solomon? Big difference. Let me explain it to you like this. Let's say there's a young couple. They start dating. They start having feelings for one another. Six months later, they decide, let's do something. Let's move in together. So now they're sharing um, a place. And when you challenge them on the idea of marriage, often there's, there's pushback. Mostly from the guy, but sometimes it's both. Do you know why? Because here's what they want. They want the benefits of marriage. You know, like the sex and the shared bills. They want all that. But they don't want the responsibilities, the commitment that comes with marriage. Because if I get mad and I don't like you anymore, I want to be able to walk out the door and never come back. And marriage would require that I come back. Marriage would require that I love you like Christ loved the church because that's what he asks of me. And marriage would require that I honor my husband as to the Lord. And sometimes I don't think he's that honorable, so I don't want to have to do that. So there's pushback. And in the same way, here's what I've realized. People want all the benefits of Jesus. Yes, I'll take forgiveness of sins. Give me some salvation. Give me the hope for eternal life. But in no way, Jesus, do I want the commitment of you telling me how I have to live my life. Just look around us, folks. It's permeated all throughout our culture. You can call yourself a Christian and never have to do anything that Jesus told you to do. You can be a rapper and you can have ten crosses around your neck and you can sell millions of albums full of language that just degrades and demeans women. You can be that athlete who when you're on the field and you catch the ball in the end zone, you might get on one knee and you might point upward, and when the interviewer interviews you at the end of the game, you can say, I just want to give all thanks and glory to God. But what about the three F-bombs everybody heard you drop on the field? What about the fact that you've got eight kids watching your game that you've had by four different women and you were never married to one of them? Does Jesus have anything to say about that? Because apparently the Christian life doesn't have anything to say about how we express our sexuality today. Because I can sleep with whoever I want, whenever I want, whether or not I'm married. And Jesus doesn't get to speak into that and don't you dare judge me because I'm a Christian today being Christian has been boiled down to you can follow Jesus and just conveniently ignore what he says what he taught about the poor what he taught about bitterness what he taught about 
uh, greed, what he taught about our sexuality. You can just ignore it. To him who has ears, let me encourage you. Do not ignore it. Because this is the same Jesus who said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Lots of people given lip service. Very few, Jesus says, are giving life service to his lordship. So hear me out. We have to stop being Christians. And we have got to go back to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus never, ever invited anyone to be a Christian. But he invited everyone to follow him. Because followers, unlike Christians, make imitation their destination. And it's not for the faint of heart. Jesus was very upfront about what he expected of people who would accept his invitation to follow. It wasn't a bait and switch. It wasn't like, hey, I got you now. Now that you're in the club, you can't get out. But here's what I require of you. Here's what he said. Luke 9, 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to accept that invitation to walk in my shoes must deny themselves. How popular is that today? I thought it was about self-elevation and self-promotion and me before the other guy, right? No, not according to Jesus. And take up their cross? That sounds inconvenient. That doesn't sound very promising. That sounds a little bit scary because I know what crosses were used for in that day. And it's not an on a day, off a day, get the weekends off. It's daily, one right after the other, and follow me. Apparently, Jesus never read that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, did he? Because that's not how you win people over. So what we're going to do and talk about over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to follow Jesus by taking intentional steps. I say intentional, here's why. Because nobody ever unintentionally just looks more like Jesus. Nobody ever just accidentally or stumbles into a life of looking like Jesus. It just doesn't happen. It's very decisive. Very intentional. And hear me out. Very costly. Stories told about a young boy who turned 16 years old. He got his driver's license. The only thing he didn't have now was a car. So he goes to his dad and says, Dad, can you help me get a car? His dad's like, I don't think so. And the young boy says, well, why not? Well, three reasons. Your grades have been slipping, I've noticed. You don't have a job, and cars can be kind of expensive to maintain. And you know that I don't like that long hair you have. you got to cut that long hair. You, when you do all three of those, you come back and talk to me. So about three months later, the young man goes back to his dad and says, Dad, you told me to come talk to you when things were different about getting a car, so I'm back. I want you to know 
I made the honor roll this last semester. My grades have went, I'll admit, from mostly C's to now mostly A's and a few B's. I'm doing much better. And I got a job. And I work a lot of hours and I work hard. My boss says I'm doing good and the boss says I've, I've got a lot of promise. The dad says, yeah, but you still got that long hair. What about that? Well, dad, you know that Bible that you and mom got me for Christmas? I got to flipping through it, and there were some pictures in there. And I saw at least a couple pictures where Jesus had long hair. And the dad says, yeah. And Jesus walked everywhere he went also. (laughs) Proving, if you really want to look like Jesus in the way we're talking about today, you're going to pay a price. And he was very upfront about this. The life of Jesus, folks, really is possible. But you really have to want it. And you've got to take intentional steps to pursue it. So this last year, As a staff, we got together and put our minds together, and we asked ourselves, for somebody who's really serious about following Jesus, what does that life look like? What are the habits in that person's life? What are the things that person is committed to, to look as much like Jesus as they possibly can? And we came up with six characteristics, six habits, six commitments that are visible in these people's lives because they were visible in the life of Jesus as well. Let me share those with you, and I would love for you to write these down, okay? Because each of these is going to be a topic over the next six weeks, all right? Number one, followers of Jesus worship regularly. They make the priority of gathering with God's people a priority in their life. They recognize the fact that God dwells in the praises of his people. And when it comes to the family calendar, they don't say, hey, what's going on this weekend? And if nothing good's going on, we'll go to church. They say, no, worship among the believers is a priority for this family because it was a priority to Jesus. And we'll see that next week when we talk about that. You know what else followers of Jesus do? They connect with God daily. We find over and over and over and over in Scripture, Jesus withdrawing, Jesus getting away from the crowds to spend quality time with the Father. We have a Father who wants to connect with His children. And He's given us the avenue of prayer to express our our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our failures, our sins, everything that a child should and could express to their parent. We have that opportunity to, to do with our Creator. And he has an opportunity to speak love and truth and grace and hope into us. And we read his word that just empowers us and enlivens us, and it gives us hope to keep going on. It's like that that well that we just keep drawing from every day. Because followers of Jesus, like Jesus, connect with God daily. You know what else followers of Jesus do? Followers of Jesus do life together. Because we see that in the Gospels, Jesus never gave online discipleship lessons to anybody. He never did kind of the whole one-on-one thing. He had people in groups. 
because it's in groups when I'm with other people in community that I can love them and they can love me. I can serve them. They can serve me. I can encourage them. They can encourage me. I can pray for them and they can pray for me. And together, we pursue the life of Jesus. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that it's so much better, rewarding, and even easier to follow Jesus when we do it together. That's the way he designed it. Number four, followers of Jesus give generously. The number one barrier for human beings when it comes to getting really serious about their relationship with Jesus is that we're always tempted to find our security somewhere else. You want to guess where most people go to for their security? Their money. That's why when we learn the way of Jesus, that we're open-handed people and we release it. And it doesn't master us and we serve it. We master over it and it serves us for the things Jesus wants to do with our resources. And generosity comes in so many shapes and so many sizes. It's not just about what we have in our wallet. It's about what we've been entrusted with, with our whole life, our time, our resources, our, our gifts, everything that God made us to be and everything God has put in us in our hands. Followers of Jesus, they give generously because they look at a Savior as a Lord who surrendered his life in every possible way a life could be surrendered. And they model their lives after that. And that brings us to the next one. Followers of Jesus serve others. They learn to be a blessing to others. They love God and they show their love of God by loving and serving people. And they remember that just as Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, I came to pour my life out for you. And he calls us to serve and pour our lives out for others. And then number six, followers of Jesus invest and invite. We're always wanting to tell people and show people Jesus. That's what the gospel is. It's show and tell. Let me show you what Jesus has done in my life, and let me tell you that I don't care what you've done, where you've been, who you've done it with, how many sins you've committed. I don't care what's going on in your life. Jesus can do in your life the exact same thing he's done in mine. It's like the old adage says, it's like one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Because disciples aren't sterile. Disciples reproduce. So going forward, you're going to see these different phrases throughout our church. You're going to see them in our different communications and, and publications. Because going forward, we're focusing less on programs and we're focusing more on process, 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 process. How do we create more doppelgangers of Jesus? Now let me share something with you. You'll see in the corporate world today, and even a lot of churches today, they adapt a model where they measure everything uh, by what we call metrics, okay? In other words, I could have got up here today and I could have said, church, by the year 2030, 10 and a half years from now, we want to be running this many people in attendance, and we want this many people serving, and we want this many people in community groups. And I could lay out for you all the facts and the figures and just put all the numbers out before you. 
But here's what I know about metrics, and you know about metrics as well. They only measure quantity. They don't measure quality. So we could have a church just brimming over with people and lots of activity and lots of things going on, and we could still be an inch deep and a mile wide. And that doesn't mean anybody's necessarily following Jesus. Here's what I believe. If we can just get the church, all of us, to stop being cultural Christians and to really start following Jesus, stepping in his footsteps, trying to be as much like him as we possibly can, then you know what I know? People will be here worshiping more regularly. And as a result of that, they're going to want to connect with God more daily. And when they connect with God more daily, then they're going to want to be in community with other people who are connecting with God. And when I'm so overwhelmed and wild with what God has done in my life and I want him to do it in other people's lives, I'll freely give up my resources. And you know what? I'll say, you know what? I don't want to just give my money. I want to give my time and I want to get off my duff and serve somewhere here in the church where it makes a difference in the lives of somebody else like God has made a difference in my life. And I'll be so excited about it that I'm going to invest in relationships with the sole purpose of getting that person to Jesus or an environment where they can learn about Jesus. But I'm saying this, friends, here's it is. If we're a healthy church, making and growing healthy disciples, guess what's going to happen? We're going to grow because healthy things grow and they bear fruit. That's not Solomon talk. That's Jesus talk. Listen to what Jesus says. Here's his promise. And he's calling us to the same thing I've been calling us to today. Listen to what he says in John 15, 4. Remain in me. In other words, stay close to me. Stay connected to me. Follow me. And I also remain in you. No branch, that's us, can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. The vine's where the nourishment comes from. The, night, the vine is where everything is that the branch needs to produce fruit. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Listen to this. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do, say it, So you know what we have? We have one metric that we're using. Everybody hold up this finger. You want to know what that metric is? Now point it at yourself. You are the metric. Here's what I mean. If six months or a year from now, you look more like Jesus then than you do today, that's our measuring stick. And when we all look increasingly more and more and more like Jesus, we will grow. How do I know that? Because healthy things 
grow. I'm going to tell you what, folks. We live in a world that's growing darker and darker and darker. So we can't go on as a church and say, yeah, if you want to look like Jesus, that's great. We welcome that. And if you don't want to look so much like him as well, yeah, we welcome that as well. It can't just be the aim of some here. It has to be the expectation of all. Here's what John said, who knew Jesus better than all the other disciples. Here's what John wrote. He says, this is how we know we are in him. This is how we know he's Lord. This is how we know that we're following him. This is what allows me to put my head on the pillow at night and sleep soundly. Why? Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So what are we going to settle for, folks? Cultural Christianity that's just abundant all over the place? Or are we going to be doppelgangers of Jesus? Here's what I know the studies tell us. You want to know why our 18 and 19 and 20-year-olds, when they go off to college, where they're not getting plugged into a local church, why they give the appearance that they are abandoning faith? You want to know why that is? Studies tell us that they say Christianity is boring. And I agree cultural Christianity is boring. Christianity without transformation is boring. Christianity that, that demands of me the only thing is that I give a little teeny slice of my everyday life and schedule to Jesus and that's good enough. That's boring. You know what's not boring though? What's not boring is following the most radical, status quo, upsetting, merciful, obeying, praying, most hated, and yet most loving man who ever lived. That's not boring. Jesus called that the abundant life. So that's where we're going. So what's your next step? My gut tells me, you already know what it is. Here's what I know about next steps. We've all got one. Maybe your next step is to get baptized. You've never made a decision for Jesus yet, so you can't have the life that he's called you to if you haven't followed him yet. And let me just clarify something. I'm afraid in our churches, this church and other churches, we've been guilty of doing something. We've made baptism kind of like the finish line. When baptism scripturally in the New Testament was the starting line, it was the portal to which a man or woman said, from now on, I want to be a doppelganger of Jesus. That's what some of you's first step is going to be. Others of you, it's reprioritizing, rearranging the family calendar to make sure 
that when it comes to weekends, this is going to be priority, being with God's people. For others of you, it's taking your day planner and swiping some things away. You're going to say no to some good things so you can say yes to some great things, like connecting with your father. For others of you, it means, again, finding a place inside or outside the church where you can be the hands and heart of Jesus. For others of you, it's stop doing Lone Ranger Christianity and getting in community with other people in a study, accountability, whatever that looks like for you. And we're going to be launching new community groups come 2020. For others of you, it's this. When I go to work every day or when I'm in my neighborhood, I'm going to be very, very intentional about investing in this person so that God will give me a window by which I can invite them to Jesus like someone invited me. I don't know what your next step is. But I know you've got one. And this morning, I'd just like for you to bow right now, and we're going to just pray and take this all to the throne of God and ask him for some clarity. Father, we come to you, our glorious creator, who made us in your image so that we might declare your praises and goodness. Lord, I pray for clarity today. I pray for the Holy Spirit to be working right now in people's lives and just convict them, to just be a weight on their soul, a presence they can't deny and they can't shush him. And they just hear and now realize, yes, this is what I need to do. Here's a step I need to take to be more like Jesus six months from now than I am like him today. And may those steps start today, Lord. Father, may we never accept just accepting Jesus. May we be followers in every true sense of the word, Lord. I thank you for your love, and for your grace, for everything that you give to your people so that daily we can walk in the footsteps of our Savior. So, Lord, be with us now. As decisions are made, maybe somebody comes today and says, yeah, I need to be baptized into Christ. I've never asked Jesus to be my Savior. And I understand now what it means to follow him. And I'm ready to take that first step. So, Lord, just move today in a way only you can. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for allowing us to follow one we call Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray.